This season, Handcut Radio is sponsored by Thomas Mason, an historic British textiles brand which is owned and protected by the Albini Group. Dating back to 1796 and founded in the town of Nelson, Lancashire, Thomas Mason has long specialised in luxurious, superfine shirting fabrics, which are known equally for their quality, design flair and textile innovation. From the invention of Zephyr in 1818 to the company's pioneering work in the traceability of cotton today, if you like to have your shirts made, Thomas Mason is the cloth to ask for. Huge thanks to the Thomas Mason team for making this season possible. Now, on with the show. Hello lovely people, it's Alex here. Thank you so much for tuning into this, our final episode of season six. To close the season, I wanted to return to one of menswear's true statesmen, Mark Cho, co-founder of the Armoury and co-owner of Drake's. We've called this episode Mark Cho's take on 2022 because, while that isn't explicitly what we discussed, a lot of the themes we explore, the casualization of style, the danger of hype and the saturation of everyone's attention, feel very relevant to the moment we find ourselves in. In many ways, this episode summarizes our industry's collective learnings over the past two or three years while this podcast has been on the air, and Mark's astute observation that hype is playing a more and more worrying role in the luxury goods markets feels like a prediction of what may come to pass over the next few years too. I also think the way that Mark has shaped his first limited edition watch release to be deliberately hype-free is fascinating. So, on that note... Here's my conversation with Mr. Mark Cho. Um, Mark, here we are, three years later. It's mm-hmm. uh, really lovely to see you again. <laughs> you too. It's been a while. It's yeah, been man. a long while. Um, funny that, isn't it? Just a crazy, crazy, crazy couple of years. But here we are in New York, um, and it's wonderful to be sat here again in the Armoury Tribeca. And again, I don't think I've been in here for three, four years, so it's wonderful to be back. Um I wanted to just have a general sort of three years on, where's the armory at, where's menswear at, what's changed, what's evolved kind of conversation with you. Sure, okay. Um, and I guess, where do we start? What, what do you think are some of the real points of evolution that you've kind of seen as a merchant and a business owner uh, in the three years since we first spoke? Uh, we definitely can't rely on ties to make money anymore. <laughs> that is that is not going so well. Um, and obviously suits have taken a hit. How did the Armoury respond to that when the pandemic kind of, you know, took hold in spring 2020 and you thought, shit, like, business dress is not a thing. There's not going to be a thing for at least a year, two years. I mean, mate, wearing clothing was not a thing for a while at all. Right? <laughs> but... Um, I think we, it just accelerated a path that we were already on. Like we were already seeing a lot of people starting to wear more casual things to the office. You know, suits were not required. Um, I think the armory will always cater towards people who love tailoring. And if the world changes and people can't, don't, like if the world changes and people aren't required to wear tailoring, those people will still want to wear tailoring in some way that is relevant to their situation or they will want to wear pieces that 
um, are like tailoring adjacent, right? Like designs that could be made using cloth that you might typically use for tailoring, like certain types of sport coat cloth or certain, even certain types of suiting cloth. Um, and, you know, the Armory was already working on those sorts of designs uh, even three years ago. You know, three years ago, we were working on things like our blues on, mm. um, our crops jackets, um, our safari, and our, like, our take on the Teba, the city hunter, right? So th- these three years have basically just, like, accelerated development on that. And we've done a lot more. The safari has gone into version two. Um, we introduced something called the road jacket. The three yes. pocket blues on is pretty mature now. And uh, the City Hunter actually is really picking up steam, um, actually, especially in the watch community. Like a lot of watch people seem to gravitate towards that City Hunter. And we've done various special versions of those, too, for like Philips Perpetual um, for the upcoming soon for the Horological Society of New York. Um, famous watchmakers enjoy wearing it. FP Join is a bunch himself. Like, uh, it's cool. That thing has slowly turned into its own little phenomenon, which I'm really enjoying. Awesome. Yeah. Also, funnily enough, like uh, for trousers, um, you know, we do this chino called the sport chino. And this is like one of the very few Armory products that hits four figure units. Like usually Armory stuff is like in the tens. If it's really important, maybe the hundreds. But like we're now reaching into like thousands for sport chinos. Like there's just something about sport chinos that like they look good. They're reliable. They're not crazy expensive. And you throw them in the washing machine, you know. And I think um, it's something that that is fitting into a lot of men's lifestyles and wardrobes right now. Yeah. Yeah. I want to come back around to how the armory has started to interact more and more with the watch community. We're going to get there. Sure, sure. But um, it also strikes me that something, I guess, that the armory has had to... Uh, contend with is this idea of of making tailoring or clothes with a tailored point of view that are convenient, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think that there's something in the sport chino that really resonates there. Like after near enough eighteen months of just wearing your pajamas and sweatpants, yeah, the the next pair of trousers to venture back out in the world yeah. needs to feel relatively close to that. You know, the other thing is that especially during this COVID period. Um, I think it's because it's washable. Yeah. I think people are like, I can wash the germs off this, you know? <laughs> and I think that is actually a really important part of, like, how people make their wardrobe choices right now. It's mm. kind of interesting. It actually didn't occur to me at all until someone mentioned that to me. That is, I mean, I, I've got to be honest, it's not occurred to me at any point in this pandemic at all, up to you saying it there. So, yeah. but, it, but that is fascinating. I wonder if... Um, Someone somewhere, there's got to be a mill or a merchant somewhere that's come up with like a COVID repellent worsted wool somewhere. <laughs> there's going to be some sort of like germ repellent suiting on the horizon. Yeah, very possible. Um, but you've, I guess guys are still wearing sports coats and they're still wearing kind of casual tailoring, yeah. embracing all those things, right? Like the new, the, there's more of a nuance to it now too, for sure. You know, like the tailoring that people are wearing is um, a little bit more casual. It's got a little bit more texture to it. It's got a little more pattern to it. You know, it's less of the classic solids and a little bit more fun and adventurous Mm. and this is you know partly uh because the people who used to just wear it in a very formal way those people started to fall away and the people who did like it now almost feel like they get to shine a little bit with it right like they're like well i'm already wearing this thing no one else is wearing so i might as well just do something that's a little bit more out there and enjoy it for what it is yeah which i love i think that's great like i think actually it's a very necessary moment for tailoring because otherwise people get used to this just like navy and gray suit in slow gradual decline rather than like something that pushes the boundaries of their own aesthetic more yes and that has expressive possibility exactly let's explore a little bit this sort of 
I don't know whether you'd put it in these terms to put putters into your mouth, but the sort of casualization of, of some armory product then. Um, you were already developing things like the 3PB, and, and I absolutely love the road jacket, I have to say, which is the evolution of that. Yeah, thanks. Um, and I guess they sort of, you got them ready to bring to market uh, following a lot of testing and development, luckily yeah. at just the right time, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember, I think it was it last summer, there was a wonderful Armoury lookbook that I wrote a little piece on for the Rob Report mm. that had all you guys sort of doing in like a montage of Florence. Yeah. And that was really impactful for me because I looked at it and I felt, ah, for the, sort of, for the first time, I'm really seeing the Armoury present this new sort of composed but casual aesthetic. Yeah. And actually showing us a way back to wearing some of the tailoring we like. There's yeah. an evolution on pre-pandemic. Yeah. What was sort of thinking about what that aesthetic could look like? What was that process like for you? Um, it's always uh, on our minds because, you know, we're very close with our customers, right? Like we don't design first and then find the customer. It's, it's often the other way around. Like we're thinking about what does our customer need, you know, and trying to anticipate that need. And obviously one of the biggest needs um, for the armory historically has been like men's professional wardrobes. Uh, so, you know, despite our, our clothing kind of following casual clothing codes, the hope is always that they get adopted into people's professional wardrobes. If you don't need to wear a sport coat to work anymore, you don't need to wear a suit to work anymore but you still want to look like dressed up like professional you know what are the what are the substitutes for mm -hmm. that because like sweatpants no matter how many freaking drawstrings you put on there are never going to be professional wear you know um but something like you know a sport chino that's a little bit crisp and with a crease down the middle with like the right sort of jacket like can still look very dressed up yeah. You know, and it still even gives you the opportunity to accessorize and, and put a little bit of thought into the entire outfit. Um, and that's something that I've been really enjoying. Just like trying to work out, like, what are these new professional dress codes going to be? And how can we be part of this? Yeah. Mm. Is it, it's like a roll neck road jacket and flannels now, isn't it? Or yeah. like, a, like a tailored blues on as opposed to a yeah. sport coat. Or it's a sport coat with some chino. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite interesting. How yeah. It's just evolving slowly. Mm -hmm. Um we mentioned the watch community earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to sort of explore how, because it's funny that this came up in our last conversation, how your passion for watches mm -hmm. has actually allowed the kind of armory to really start interacting with the watch community in lots and lots of interesting ways. Yeah. Um, that presumably is very satisfying for you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's it's been... You know, little things like, oh, people profiling me as a collector and talking about my own personal collection um, to then like working with auction houses and highlighting stuff that they're, you know, auctioning or things that they're interested in. And finally, to like developing our own products and developing our collaborative products. Um, just been a really satisfying kind of add on to the armory and one that really um, fits into my personal lifestyle well. And I feel like, you know, as with all things like these things only work if, if you are authentic about it, right? Like I've been collecting watches now for like 17 years and um, I care deeply about it. And I hope that what we do in the watch space like reflects that care as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, I think it does. I mean, we've got sat between us, between the microphones, <laughs> the latest uh, collaborative watch with H. Moser, which is absolutely exquisite. Thank you. Um, 
Why don't you, because I think it's super intriguing, just whiz us through some of the things that make this watch interesting? Sure. Because there's a lot of sort of, there's a lot of thought and care gone into this that I think demonstrates just how serious you are about it. Yeah. Um, we, like H. Moser is a brand, a really great watchmaking brand and manufacturer based out in Schaffhausen. Um, we actually did a couple of events together, both in Hong Kong and New York. And at the previous New York event in 2020, um, I got to know their CEO, Edouard Malin, and we got along well. And so I just floated an idea. I was like, would you be interested in doing collaboration together? Right. I didn't really necessarily had a watch, have a watch in mind at that time. Um, but they do some unique things. Uh, so for instance, one of their specialties is what they call a fumé dial. So that's a dial that has this kind of radiating, sunburst, colorful pattern on it. And the other thing they do uh, is Vantablack. Um, Vantablack stands for Vertically Aligned Nanotube Array. And what it is, it's, an, it's a carbon nanotube coating, uh, and it eats light. It completely, completely absorbs light to the point where, like, nothing comes back. And so it's the blackest uh, material in the world. And um, what is a carbon nanotube? It's like a little toilet roll on a very, <laughs> at, a, at a very, very tiny scale. Okay. <laughs> so imagine lots of toilet rolls all taped little carbon together. Ones. Yes, little carbon ones at a microscopic scale. Um, actually, Edouard mentioned kind of the, the scale of it. So if you were to pack carbon nanotubes like this at a human scale, they would be the size, the height of like a forest tree. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, they're so uh, tiny, so like you don't what, realize. What diameter is that? Uh, the diameter of the watch or the diameter of the nanotube? The watch. The watch is 38 millimeter. 38 mils. Okay, yes. so the equivalent of a 38 mil watch to achieve this super, super black dial yeah. is the equivalent of miles and miles of toilet roll. Yes, miles and miles of toilet roll. <laughs> yeah. Which is something that we all think about <laughs> frequently and in great depth. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, so like with the carbon nanotubes, Eats light, um, really, really black. And Moser has done Vanta Black watches before. They have a real talent and skill for it because uh, it's a very delicate material. You need to have special tools and special skills to work with it properly. Um, but then me and my design partner, Elliot Hammer, um, we were like, let's let's try and, and do something different with this, right? Because when you have something that's pure black, the you know one way to approach it is you go very minimal, right? You do really simple hands, clean case. It's a great look. But, you know, as with things in the armory, like we wanted to have something that had a little bit more detail, um, a little bit more to it. And so we came up with the idea of uh, the total eclipse, you know, because what's interesting about a total solar eclipse, what's interesting about this natural phenomenon is that it's a time where you can look at the sun with your naked eye um, and not have your retinas fried because it's been blocked by the moon and see the fiery halo around the edge of the sun. And so like, that's a really beautiful phenomenon. And I think maybe we could try and recreate it using Vantablack. So what we did was we took a Vantablack dial. We surrounded it with a polished inner bezel, which is something new for Moser. And then we also developed a new technique um, for the m markers, for the indices on the dial. Um, so what we did was on the coating, we actually left little holes. Uh, and so you can see through the Vantablack layer down onto the dial plate. And the dial plate comes back with a little color uh, to to show, you know, the hour markers. Ah. Yeah. The uh, the uh, bezel, the colored bezel in either the silver or the gold mm -hmm. is my favorite detail about the watch. And it's interesting that that's a first for Moser. They've never done that sort of yeah. reflective inner 
That's a really interesting kind of innovation. It adds so much depth to the watch, I think. I think so too. And you know, it's it's a detail you don't see on every watch. Um, some brands want to really like make the dial look as big as possible. So if you want to make the dial look as big as possible, you don't put an inner bezel on there. Whereas other brands like the fact that the dial feels a little bit sunken into the case of the watch. And that's the situation where you would use an inner bezel. Yeah. Um, you can treat the inner bezel in a lot of different ways. So like for instance, Rolexes used to have Rolex like written in repeated script all around the edge of it, right? But in our case, we left it plain and we just did it super highly polished because we got, we figured it would probably have like, there would be some interesting play in the reflections um, depending on how you move the watch and what sort of light you were viewing it under. Um, you know, we did this whole project over two years all over just like email and Zoom calls. Um, and we had no idea whether it would be great or terrible. Um, so we really like caught kind of lucky on this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's re- it's really, really, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. Thank and you. Uh, to be able to have a chance to see it while we're in New York has been really exciting. Um, I am afraid it will they will all be gone by the time this podcast is out. But there will sooner or later there will be another collaboration. I'm sure. I hope so. Yeah, we have some other ideas in mind. Like I've been lining up a lot of these watch collaborations because you know it's also like I've been spending more time doing watch development. Um, and the team has been stepping up to do more clothing development because, you know, like we aren't selling suits in the same way. And so we had a little bit of spare time to spare on other projects. Mm. You know? Did you ever think when you launched the Armoury and you kind of went, right, I'm into menswear, it's it, it's the, it's clothes for me, mm. that you would ever be in a position where you could be literally designing top end Swiss watches with very, very, very <laughs> desirable global brands? Um, no, I did not <laughs> at all. Uh I guess I think the more I've done this, the more I've just been like, okay, you know what? I I think at this point I know my own taste, mm. and so I can design stuff for myself that other that seems to resonate with other people, right? And that was probably not a situation I was in before. Yeah, you know, I was more happy to just like take what was out there, but as time has gone on, I've just been like, you know, what? I I really want to do something my way. And then now I have kind of all the bits necessary, both in terms of like experience and knowledge and connections to potentially make some of those projects happen. Mm. You know? When did you think you reached that point with either clothes or watches where you kind of went, you know what, I understand the aesthetic that I'm working towards here and the requirements for these objects. I'm just going to lean into that. When did you start to kind of block out all the the external influences and other voices and those self-doubting voices we all get get in our heads as well? Um, probably pretty recently, like a couple of years ago. Right. It'd be hard to, to mark it with a specific milestone or anything like that. Um, I mean, we, we all, we work on these projects collaboratively as well, right? Yes. So there's always other people involved. Um, so I, I certainly wouldn't say like any of these products, with the exception of maybe like one or two, have been completely designed by scratch. Uh, designed from scratch by one person. Mm. Um, and, you know, maybe it never needs to be like that. Maybe it should always be a collaborative product. Um, so far, that's been good for me. Like, that's been something I enjoy. Like, I can set a direction and I can work on it, but also with the help of a lot of other people. Yeah. Mm. Meeting of minds is always a healthy thing, isn't it? Well, perhaps I think always. healthy, <laughs> health, like, it's healthy when you have the right minds. Yeah. It's healthy when you have the right minds and the right number of minds, because that's important. Because if you get it to a point where it's like just designed by consensus, usually that stuff's kind of bad. But if it's just like a couple people who are all roughly on the same page, 
in just enough disagreement that there's like real rigor and tension to the discussions, um, but you know, not so much that it becomes acrimonious. I think that's a really good balance. Right. Mm. And I guess that's what you have now, you've reached the point where actually you've, you've got that with your team as well, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think awesome. So. Um, it, as we've been sitting here talking about how you have sort of moved into the watch space mm. or moved beyond being a collector to kind of really working in the space, mm. I have cast my mind back through the last couple of years and it's also got me wondering about the Armoury TV <laughs> because um, I think what we also saw as sort of what certainly I saw as a friend of the brand over the course of the pandemic was yourself and a couple of other team members become very comfortable presenting the product digitally mm-hmm. um, and with video through video content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how has that kind of evolved the brand, but also perhaps brought you a bit closer to the watch world at the same time? Um, I think inevitably today, like to do business, you do have to be kind of visible. And so getting comfortable with that visibility and just putting yourself out there, uh, that's kind of step one of it, right? Um, were you, were you, when, you, when you couldn't go or when you couldn't have customers into the store and you were like, right, we've got to market some of this product, yeah. were you comfortable with that idea of going, right, I'm just going to talk to the camera for five minutes? Oh, yeah, for sure. Because it's also like if I don't do this, the company might go out of business. Right. So we better do something different real fast. You know? And luckily, because of the circumstances, if you really screwed it up, you can just be like, oh, we're just trying stuff. Right? Yeah, you don't yeah. feel the same sort of pressure to have to get it perfect. And actually, as the thing has evolved, increasingly, I've just been like, you know what? Like all our podcasts, I mean, all our videos are usually like one take. We don't edit um, and we just say whatever. And I like that. Like it's quite conversational and it really just mimics how I would have dealt with a customer in the store. Mm-hmm. You know, like I started the TV series because I didn't, I, I, I started the Armory TV because I missed talking to customers right like the customers weren't coming over and so i was like let's just pretend like i am talking to a customer and at first i was fielding questions but then as time went on i was like let's talk about like specific products that i really want to want people to know more about you know yeah Mm. it's I, i think it was a really really smart innovation for the armory and i think it brought a lot of people into the brand um not just who couldn't physically be in the stores at that given moment in time, but actually people all over the world mm. who wanted to kind of connect with the Armoury and enthuse over the Armoury's product. Yeah. I think it's been really, really cool. Well, thank you. Um, I want to zoom out a little bit again. Mm-hmm. Um, I have two interrelated questions, but I've been enjoying chatting about watches, so mm-hmm. we're going to keep chatting about watches. Soz everyone who's into clothes. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> what do you, as you've become kind of a fixture uh, and, and an influential kind of voice in your own right in the watch community, um, how do you think the watch industry has fared over the course of the pandemic? What have you sort of seen that you've liked or not liked? I think generally they've done well. Um, I can't think of any watch brand that's been like, oh, yeah, we had a hard time over the pandemic. You know, right. It might have been hard for like the first month or two, but interest in watches has just exploded mm. um, across basically all the brands, especially the independent brands. And uh, now the question is not like, can we sell this? It's more like, how do we not irritate people by not having enough? You know? Yeah, which is an interesting place to be. Definitely. Yeah. How do we? Well, how did you think about that in relation to this? The watch we have in front of us now. I really didn't think about that at all. Um, I just wanted to make the damn watch, and <laughs> I was. Uh, I probably could have made more, but I, I wanted to just play it safe um, and make sure you know people got it or happy with it, and uh, if it sells out, it sells out. Yeah. You know? No. I'm sure it shall. It's, it's very exciting. Why Why do you think there has been uh, 
this uh, quote-unquote explosion of interest in watches over the course of the past couple of years? It's a lot of things. Um, Definitely demand has risen a lot. There's just a lot more people interested in this stuff, wanting to buy it, you know, and it gets... um, like it gets realized in a very obvious way, you know, because supply is obviously very fixed. Demand has increased massively. And then the minute people can't get it, they start screaming and hollering about it. And you just see that everywhere, right? So so the effects of the demand outstripping the supply have become very, very noticeable um, to anybody, even if they're not even interested in the space, right? Everyone's just always talking about it. Um, I think that people have gotten into it because uh, they've always been pretty interesting i've always liked watches right uh but as the prices have risen uh they've gotten to this point where they're basically as good as cash and so it's not even a question of like can i afford it or not it's really more a question of like should i put this in my bank account or should i put this in a watch because at the end of the day it's going to be the same it might even be a little bit better because the watch is going to be worth more and i think when when these things become risk-free like that right they're going to attract a lot more attention watches i think are very social media friendly they photograph well they look great you know everyone loves a good wrist shot sometimes i i find wrist shots very puzzling because like they're like it it's a hand and a watch like i I don't (laughs) but somehow there's i I still find them interesting yeah i just don't know why i find them interesting anymore It's, it's it's kind of fascinating um but yeah they're very social media friendly and so it's very easy to be to have your attention saturated by them you know you follow a couple people on instagram next thing you know every single photo on your feed is a watch right and then it's just top of mind all the time yeah and this is this is the world we live in we live in a world now where like everyone's attention is always saturated so um you can no longer not pester people because if you don't pester people you don't stay top of mind you don't get their attention and then you don't get sale right i don't like it I kind of prefer the old days when it's like you were pretty careful about whether you sent someone an email or not. Whereas now it's just like you got to be shoving everything into everybody's faces. You know, I, I, I don't know. It makes me a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. How are you contending with that as a business then? Sort of making sure that you're getting the Armory's messages out there without reaching sort of the point of spam. Well, that's the thing. People, I think, don't care nearly much about spam now as they did 10 years ago. You know, like people would be infuriated if they got a, a, an un, a, like an unwanted bit of spam. But now Instagram is basically spam. Like I remember a few years ago, I, I was predicting very foolishly and naively that Instagram would probably die out because people would realize that they were just signing up for spam. And that is, it. that is not happening at all. Everyone's bought into it, right? They love it, you know. But that didn't used to be the case. No. it's It's interesting. My thoughts on Instagram have changed a lot just in the last two or three months. Moving into 2022, I did something I've never done before, which is I actually took some time on the advice of my coach to think about the year in a really, really structured way and Mm. to set objectives and to take time out to think about what I want to achieve this year and Mm. what I'm moving towards as a professional and personally and all these different things. Mm. Whereas normally what I do is sort of enter a new year in freelance mode and mm. say yes to everything for the first three months and panic about the state of my bank balance, <laughs> which I haven't done this year. Mm-hmm. And I realized when I took that time back in December, January to really think about 2022, mm. Instagram is doing nothing for me, absolutely nothing at this point in mm. my career. 
I don't get a lot of inspiration from it. Mm. I get way more interiors inspiration than I do clothes now. Mm. I don't particularly feel like it's my first point of contact with brands because I have personal relationships with a lot of the brands I admire and I want to write about. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I know that a lot of people sort of enjoy seeing all the weird and wonderful things I wear and, and sort of sausage about in, mm. but I don't really think that that doesn't do a lot for me either. So I do wonder whether we might be on the cusp of more and more people, if not if not leaving Instagram, then changing how they interact with Instagram. The amount of time I spend on Instagram was probably two hours a day, even a year ago. Now mm. it might be half an hour, and I catch myself doom scrolling mm-hmm. way way more. Mm-hmm. And if I scroll past five things and I go there was nothing there, I'm off the app. Yeah, good for you. I'm glad you have the discipline for that. Well, it's tough. It's it's taken a long time for me to get the discipline, but and to sort of leave behind that weird feeling of oh my god, I'm not posting something every other day. I've got huge FOMO. You know, I should be posting. I should be visible. All those sort of toxic thoughts that Instagram encourages. Mm. But I do wonder whether that might be starting to change. I hope it is. I don't know. You're I don't, not convinced. I would like it to change, but I I don't see it ending anytime soon right but hey i was i was wrong about that thing about the whole thing the first time around so my my track record is poor on that (laughs) um another um broader sort of trend-led question i want you mentioned uh, predictions earlier I, i wondered what your predictions are for menswear over the next year two years five years how do you think the way men dress is going to continue to change I think this casual casualization, casualification, or whatever you want to call it, I think that's going to stick around um, for a while. Uh, and like I said, I think that's good for tailoring in general. Um, I think there will also be greater need for very obviously ceremonial type clothing. You know, clothing for a wedding, clothing for black tie, clothing for a board meeting. Like people are going to want a separate set of outfits for that. Which I really appreciate, you know, because like tailoring was born to take that role. Um, and I, I can't wait to be doing more of that stuff for people as they need it. Yeah. You know, it'll bifurcate like that. I think the idea of like, um, oh, I can wear this one thing to everything um, will probably slowly decline uh, because I think people, as they get into clothing, they start to realize it's better not to have one thing that works for everything. You know, it's better to have like bits of like sections of your wardrobe for this and other sections of your wardrobe for that. Yeah. I mean, at a very basic level, right? Like people, when they first get into suits, they're like, oh, I want to have a suit that I can wear all year round. And it's like, no, because then you end up with a suit that's too hot in the summer and too cold in the winter, right? It's best to have a separate winter and summer wardrobe. And I think you can carry that idea across like a lot of other different nuances and situations um, when it comes to your wardrobe. Definitely. Mm. I completely agree with that. And I think there's a great pleasure to be found in that. For sure. I'm, I'm hopeful that in the next, let's say, two, three years, a lot of men will uh, find the pleasure in dressing for different events and occasions again. I think I think I agree with you there. I think guys that perhaps were locked into seeing tailoring as a humdrum uniform will be able to break out of that. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about the possibility of that. The other thing that really interests me is what happens when, because I think a lot of the thing that's driving the need to be comfortable at the moment mm-hmm. is a desire for safety on some level. You know, we've just, we're out in the world and there are these, as, again, to quote you earlier, these germs flying about. Mm-hmm. We haven't really, as a society, got a grip on them yet. 
we're getting there with vaccines, we're learning to live with it, but it all still feels very odd and unstable. Mm-hmm. It's been a hugely uh, fearful two years for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I think let's skip forward, let's say another two years, when hopefully we're really out the other side of this thing. Mm-hmm. People won't need to feel so secure and comfortable and comforted by their clothes. Mm. And I wonder what's going to happen then. I, I'm half excited, although I'm not going to quite put any money on just yet, on the prospect of structured tailoring coming back in, which I think it was it was starting to come back in totally. just before COVID hit. Totally, yeah. So I, I, if I was a betting man, I'd say five years' time, that trend is going to come back in. I think so, for sure. I mean, just by sheer virtue of... Soft shoulder, soft tailoring being around for so long, like inevitably, at least some people will want to go back to some, will just want something different. Yeah. You know? And rightfully so. I think, I think you always need to change things in your life. Um, you know, people think, oh, I can just have the same thing for the rest of my life, but it's total nonsense. Like you, you inevitably will change enough or get sick of something and you just need something different. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I agree. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. Let's see what happens. It's super interesting, sort of. D- divining the future like this I mm. find it really really curious mm. um, I, I had a question for you about terminology because mm-hmm. it always interests me and I think we talked about this before mm-hmm. um, do you still think about the armory in terms of classic style or has that definition shifted at all as the pandemic's kind of casualized menswear it's an interesting question um, yeah I still do I think a lot of the things that we like are still based on kind of fundamental principles that have been around for quite a long time. You know, things like the silhouette of what we like is very much based on like silhouettes that just worked, you know, um, from the 30s, 40s, 50s. Uh, and they were perfectly fine. Like there's no need to, to mess those silhouettes. Um, what you can do is just adapt, you know, and create new designs that take advantage of that silhouette, but maybe use materials in a new way, you know, or use details in a new way. Um, And I think another part of like classic dress attitude uh, is what we just touched on. Like you want to have different outfits for different occasions. I think that part's really important. Um, I don't know if this is going to get me a ton of flack for saying, but, uh, you know, when I see a lot of modern um, menswear, and I, I barely look up out of my own little parapet to see what the hell's going on. Like, I don't get it. Like, I as I was growing up, I always aspired to become a man. And uh, well, not that I was a woman before, but like I wanted to grow up <laughs> from a from a boy to a man, right? And and you want these like little milestones to to demarcate your coming of age, right? So it's like, man, my first necktie, man, my first dress shirt, man, my first blazer, all that sort of stuff, right? Like, I love that. I thought that was so cool. Um, and so I grew up aspiring to, um, wanting to be older. Whereas I feel like now wardrobes don't have that, you know, like people kind of want to just wear what they wore when they were 12, but have it be more fancy and expensive. There's something in there that's super, super interesting about how, to your point that I like that thought that, you know, you've got your tie and then you've got your blazer and then you, or, you know, your parents kind of introduce you to a certain garment at a certain age and it represents a social milestone. Mm-hmm. I think so much of that has gone and I think it's gone um, in relation to um, 
you know, not having to wear a suit anymore or suit being seen as a uniform. I think so much damage has been done over the last 20 years by the suit being seen as a uniform. Mm. Um, and I think you are also correct, Mark, that the only thing really that's replaced it is streetwear and hypewear. Mm. Um, what, give me your thoughts on, on this idea of, of, of hype and relation to clothing. You know, funnily enough, actually, I don't think about hype as much uh, on clothing as I do for watches, right? right? Especially now where, like, the market is so hot and people are just, like, furious and frenzied for everything. And I I just think it's a little bit of, like, a damaging way to live, right? Like, like I, I, I hear friends, customers, and they're like, I got to get this thing, I got to get this thing. It's like, really? You don't, though. It's just a thing, right? And you're just kind of, like, buying into the hype and being swept away with it. Like, for instance, when we did these Mosers, right, like, I really wanted to try and make sure people didn't feel... I didn't want to generate unhappiness through these watches, right? I wanted people who managed to go on to be happy about it. I wanted people who didn't manage to go on to still be okay with it, right? So, like, I actually um, did it as a lottery. Like, we set aside a bunch of the pieces... And we gave people a whole week to think about whether they need this or not. Uh, and then if they do, they get a lottery ticket from us and they go into an allocation lottery, right? Because I, I don't like the idea of first come, first serve. And I don't like the idea of um, people being controlled like that. Mm. You know, it, it really, really bothers me. And uh, as much as it applies to watches, it, it kind of also applies to clothes too, you know? And when people are like, oh my God, I got to wait for the next drop and blah, blah, blah. It's like, do you? It's okay. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. I think um, th- there's something, again, interesting in there about how social media is changing our brains, right? Yeah. And I, I, I feel like it's more difficult than it ever has been for me personally, speaking personally as a consumer now, to see something new, primarily digitally, like, mm. oh, my God, the new lookbook's out or the new campaign's out or, oh, my God, I love that shirt in that shot or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And not instantly go i've got to have it yeah it's like our brains have been wired to be much to be sort of be much more reactive yeah and it takes a huge amount of of stepping out of yourself and stepping back from that moment of i've got to have this Mm. to actually again as you say take that week to consider a purchase and whether you really need it in your life yeah and it's so important i know i've bleated on about this loads over the course of this podcast but it's so important as a society that we're capable of doing that Mm mm-hmm um, for sure. I thought it's a lot of waste just being generated, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, I would love, for instance, for the armory to be a very small part of the armory is ready to wear, and a big part of the armory is just to-order custom stuff, right? You never have to worry about inventory, and you just have this steady, slow stream of business, right? Where, like, people are slowly, slowly chopping and changing their wardrobes in the same way that you might tend to a garden or something like that, right? That's a I, nice analogy. Yeah, yeah that's lovely. I just lovely. think that's like a much healthier way to go about these things. We should all and be tending is, to our wardrobe gardens. Yeah, and you know, this is how a lot of our best customers operate, you know? They're not buying like 100 things at a time. They're buying like small quantities, but on a very regular basis. And we love seeing them and we love working together and working together with them, you know? And that's kind of what also builds a nice community around the whole around the armory and around the idea of just like, oh, I, I do want to take care of my wardrobe and my appearance in this way. And I, I don't get it, you know? Um, I think also it's a little bit tied to, I, I, I meet people every once in a while and they're like, oh, I want to look young, I want to look young. And it's like, I've, I've never wanted to look young. 
Like, because you'll never look young. Once you pass that time in your life, you can't go back to it, you know? So just embrace and enjoy who you are today and, you know, be prepared that, like, things will change. Mm. I think that is extremely wise. We uh, this is a this is a safe space. This podcast, so we shall have no flack here. <laughs> um, I, I I completely agree with you. I I see things from a few different perspectives. One is I, and we've talked about this a little bit this season. I make a sort of loose distinction in my mind between. Um, fashion and style and I think there's a place for both and actually the younger Alex would have said I have no interest in fashion it's not for me I'm not a fashion guy as Mm -hmm. I've grown up and I've developed as a journalist I've realized there's space for both when brands do things with authenticity I think the issue with a lot of the modern stuff that we're encountering increasingly encountering um, is that it's inauthentic and that brands are not producing clothes from a point of honesty and authenticity um, but they're producing clothes to be a part of a big fashion system and a lot of those clothes are uh, from my point of view at least objectively truly bizarre but then th- there's <laughs> there's a flip side to this because yesterday uh, I went into Bodhi which I think is a very authentic fashion brand and I bought a pair of velvet patchwork trousers mm-hmm. because I love them mm-hmm. but I understand what Emily's trying to do I understand that she's passionate about this kind of design and aesthetic Mm. and that it speaks to a certain community. And I don't have an issue with being the Alex who wears an Edward Sexton suit on the Monday and Bodhi patchwork trousers on the Tuesday if I'm moving between different contexts. Totally. I love that. Right? So that kind of works for me. But, Mm -hmm. But I agree with you that there's this weird obsession to just buy into hype wear. Yeah. Is... Uh, completely nonsensical because because fundamentally if you're buying into hype wear you're probably not being true to yourself yeah yeah i totally agree with that good <laughs> we have consensus mm. let's park that there i was going to start to round off the conversation a little bit and ask what else are you working on in 2022 um definitely more watches uh more watches maybe even some clocks i think that'll be fun cool Mm-hmm. Um, Can you say with who yet? Presumably no. not. No. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, because also you know who knows what might happen, right? I want to, uh, I want to overpromise and underdeliver. Sure. Um, I want to do some more cloth development. Um, we're doing some. We're looking at some interesting things with Love It, which is a great mill up in Scotland. Oh, I love Love It. Yeah, Love It's great. Um, hopefully, some new stuff with Taylor and Lodge as well. Um, another great mill, really. Um, I also want to start trying to do some stuff with Japanese fabrics. Um, I have a couple ideas, but I can't can't reveal too much. Um, definitely going to do more on the shoe side. Um, I mean, we've been kind of dead on shoes for like two years now, but you know, people are 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 open to wearing shoes again. You know, and uh, <laughs> I wanted to try and develop maybe a new last, a couple of new styles. Uh, I have been actually like leaving a lot more creative work. Um, to my colleagues like I'll maybe just leave the seed of an idea and I'll work on it bits and bits of it with them but actually they're they're great like they're really I'm glad everyone's getting a chance to like put their ideas into the market as well was, was it difficult for you to kind of let go of that bit because I know I remember the conversation with three years ago we spoke a lot about how passionate you are about hands-on product development yeah no it's been okay um, because you know at the end of the day like the creative team hasn't changed in four or five years now you know so we're all we're all quite comfortable with each other in the right way um and uh 
yeah, I trust them, basically. I trust them and I'm excited to see what they come up with. Awesome. Yeah. That's a great place to be, right? Yeah. Um, last one then for you. Mm-hmm. What have you learned over the course of the pandemic? What What are some of the, like, the really big lessons that you think have sunk in? Um, I, th- I think doing the Armory TV uh, and just trying to like navigate um, a very challenging business environment, uh, I am much less of a perfectionist. I'm much more of a, let's just throw it out there and see what happens sort of thing. Because um, actually, the Armory is lucky in that you either know the Armory and you like it or you don't know it at all. And so our audience in general has been good to us. I would say like on average compared to other brands, actually much better to us than other brands' audiences might be. So I'm really grateful for that and I, I love that. Um, and it's probably given me a lot more confidence to just like, oh, okay, my ideas are not shit. So like, let's try and do a few more things. Um, and the other thing was like the quarantine I did. So I've been out of Hong Kong twice in the last two years. And uh, Hong Kong's quarantine rules are such that you have to do three weeks in a hotel, not allowed out. Um, and, you know, so my first trip in New York, which was, I think, two, three months ago for some important things, I did the quarantine. I was a little hesitant because obviously three weeks is a long time to be stuck by yourself in a hotel room. And you know what? Um, it was amazing. It was really like an amazing experience. Was it? Yeah, it was fantastic. Like I would do that again in a heartbeat. Um, it, it's not something that everyone can handle. Uh, I think it really depends on your personality. But for me, it really worked for me in a way that I did not expect at all. Um, what, 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 what did you find so satisfying in that experience? So many things. You know, firstly, I was sleeping again, which was amazing. So I haven't slept more than like five, six hours a night in a long, long time. And yet during quarantine, I was doing eight hours a night every night. And I was like, what the hell happened? Um, but I think what it was, was, uh, for instance, like some people go into quarantine, they, they're like, oh my God, this is so boring, this is so annoying, so frustrating. They drink a lot or they try to fill their time with like extra work. And after like day two, I was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to do whatever I want. You know, this is great. I'm just going to enjoy this peace and quiet for what it is. And so I probably did like 30% less work than I normally do. And I was super happy with it. Um, As someone who, you know, is very much like on the sales side of things. um, And as someone who like always maybe without even realizing it is always trying to make the most of situations. I think I didn't realize uh, how much obligation I was feeling and how that obligation translated into um, into stress and would have effects on things like sleep or just like general well-being, right? So like if you're stuck in quarantine, obviously you're not going to make any appointments to go and have a smoke with a customer, ha- do an appointment with a customer to put together a wardrobe, all that sort of stuff, right? Like all that goes off your plate. And that's kind of interesting. Um, and um, there are like if you take a holiday, right? If you take a holiday to somewhere new, somewhere fun and special, you have another form of obligation, which is like, oh, you want to make the most of it. Like I'm in this new place. I got to go see this museum, that museum. I got to go and hit this shop, that shop. But you're stuck in a frigging hotel room. You're not going to do any of that stuff, right? So you don't have to worry about it. So that's like another component of your life that you didn't even realize was so um, kind of stress-inducing that just disappears. You know, so I, I would highly recommend anybody give maybe not full three weeks of quarantine in a hotel room a whirl but some sort of situation where you are just on your own for at least a couple days the longer the better like by the time i got to my 21st day i actually stayed an extra day 
I could have left at midnight. I didn't leave till like middle of the next day because I was just like, this is great. You know, no one's bothering me. I can do things at my own pace. It was wonderful. It's, it's really, yeah, it's really, really intriguing. I, uh, it's funny having sort of mentioned that I took some time to set my objectives at the start of the year for the first time ever. I went to a nice hotel in the English countryside on my own for four days and mm. basically said to my poor, uh, wonderful, very understanding girlfriend, sorry, it's a posh hotel, but you can't come. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I had four days of just sitting with a journal and making notes and did no work. I walked around the grounds. I ate dinner on my own every night. I got early nights and it was... I wouldn't say it's quite as intense as being in a Hong Kong hotel room for three weeks, but it was a very restorative and productive time. Mm. So there is something in it, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. There is something in it. Um, <laughs> it's an unusual note to end on, but I think I'm going to end it there, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> With uh, the end of this sort of philosophy <laughs> lesson. Um this was, uh, as always, a really fascinating conversation. There's so much in there that I want to take away and think a bit more about. I'm thrilled to see that Watchmark and Armory Mark are coming close and close together and doing really, really exceptional things. Thank you. Um, and I'm excited to see what comes next. But thank you, Mark, because that was a really lovely way to wrap up Season 6. My pleasure. Thanks for having me again. And best of luck with the podcast in the future. Thank you. There you have it, folks, my conversation with the Armory's Mark Cho. I hope it provides some food for thought. Now, while this is the end of Season 6, it is not the end of this run of recordings. In fact, we are releasing a special bonus episode this time next week with some important news, so please keep your eyes peeled for that. This week, though, all that remains is for me to thank my producers at Birch and our sound editor and theme music composer, Joe Boyd. As for you, dear listener, have a glorious week to come, and I'll see you back here for next week's bonus episode. <laughs>